see, Christian, you know the end. <laughs> you know how the story of humanity concludes. And if you know the end, you can actually thrive in the middle. This is A Better Word with Dr. Nick Gatsky, Senior Pastor of Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. I'm your host, Brian Dolan. And Dr. Nick, I'm bringing you in early today, normally blather on a bit longer, but usually your sermons are recorded here at Old North Church in Canfield. But this next message is something else, yeah? Yeah, this message was given at Moody Bible Institute's Founders Week. And it's really interesting, Founders Week, I didn't realize this, but it is the longest standing Bible conference in the country, Mm -hmm. which is a really unique heritage that Moody has to have this conference year over year over year and have a number of different speakers come in and proclaim the truth of God's word. Pastors develop their own unique relationship with their congregation and there's kind of a give and take. Yeah. What's that experience like getting out of your people and going in to speak to a crowd that doesn't know you very well? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, like you mentioned, as a pastor, I know the people I'm speaking to week in and week out. And I see their faces. And as I look into their eyes, I can see their experiences, the struggles that they have and the joys that they have. But when you speak to a congregation of people that you don't know as a guest preacher someplace or speak in a conference to some hundreds of people that you don't know, uh, it really is a different experience. But I tell you what, the thing that holds true is that God's word is applicable just as much to those people that I don't know. And I think that we see that just hold true again and again and again. Well, and also you're speaking on a theme that's handed to you. You don't get to choose this in advance. And the theme was fanning into flame your calling. Yeah. So where did you take that in this message? Yeah. So when we fan into flame our calling, there is an element that we do something. We pursue God in faith and obedience to him. And that sort of fans into flame. But there's also an element that something is done to us, something happens to us as we engage with the Lord and as we perceive his glory. That second part is really where this message goes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that when we engage God in his glory, we are changed. Well, we'll listen now to Dr. Nick Gatsky's message preached at Moody Bible Institute's Founders Week. The title of today's message is Glory That Transforms. Here's part one. A veil has an important purpose, which is to limit the view of what lies behind it. If a veil is worn to a funeral, its purpose is to limit the view of the grieving person who is wearing it. And more commonly, if a veil is worn at a wedding. It is meant to withhold the beauty and the splendor of the bride. And when the veil is lifted, all of her radiance is displayed for her husband to see. In times past, there has been a veil over the glory of God to shield people from it. But in the present, you have been made sufficient to engage 
and to enjoy the glory of God. And as you do, you fan into the flame the gift of the calling that is given to you. This morning, I want to encourage you away from lesser things and toward the greatest thing. I want us to see and to know and to feel that which is of the greatest value, the person of God, and the expression of that infinite worth and value, which is his glory. Because if you experience it, if you know it, if you feel it, you will be changed. God has displayed his glory in many times and in many ways throughout the course of human history. Glory can be defined as beauty or splendor. Glory is that aspect of a person that makes them worthy of praise or honor or respect. It's sometimes associated with their accomplishments. God is the God of glory. And he is the pinnacle standard of beauty. It's not your girlfriend. It's not your favorite piece of art. It's not your time in the beautiful national parks of the United States. The greatest beauty and awe and splendor is found in the person of God himself. And one of our biggest shortcomings in life is that in our propensity to sin, we pursue things of lesser glory, of lesser beauty, of lesser splendor. But when you remember the glory of God, we again yield ourselves to him, recognizing his elevated position as he compels us toward this growth in our calling. So this morning, we turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to ask you to turn there with me. This is a passage about the glory of God. And it's displayed, his glory, in a very particular way. The word glory here is used 12 times in 11 verses. When you see that kind of repetition in a passage, you have to sit up and pay very close attention. And the question that lies behind the message this morning is, is fanning the flame of our calling something that we do? Yes. Dr. Stoll showed us that last night. Is fanning the flame something that occurs as something happens to us? Yes. It happens when we engage with God's glory. And so in 2 Corinthians 3, we see a very carefully crafted argument. It's designed to help us think differently about God, to think about his covenant with humanity. He gives a theological argument that's going to cause us to do a little heavy lifting this morning. I want to ask you to do a little heavy lifting with me. But if you do, the payoff is worth it. And so let's read together, starting at verse 7 of chapter 3. Paul writes, Now if the ministry of death is carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? 
For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, the veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same degree, from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So in this section, we see an argument for glory, an argument for a soft heart, a set of promises that are rooted in contrasted between the new covenant and the old covenant of God. And to understand what's going on here, we have to understand the backdrop to this text. It's universally understood that this is some kind of commentary of Exodus chapter 32 through 34. And so let me just remind you briefly about what's happening there. God had delivered his people from Egypt. They were in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Moses was the prophet who was mediating the covenant between God and his people at Mount Sinai. If you're new to Christianity, a covenant is very simply an arrangement of a relationship of how God would interact with his people and how he expected his people to interact with them. Covenants came with blessings. Covenants came with consequences attached when the agreement was broken. God is a God of order. He engages with us, and he does so with an order that is in line with his attributes and his priorities. And so in Exodus 32, Moses had been on the mountain with God, and he received the law. And glory was being displayed. The mountain was shrouded in cloud. The people were not to even come close or they would die. And Moses, as he sat before the Lord, learned that as he was in the midst of God passing in front of him and proclaiming his name, had people beneath who had to make a golden calf to worship. You see, they desired a physical manifestation of God. They desired something that displayed splendor and beauty. They desired glory. But the glory they desired was a lesser glory. It was not the greatest glory. God was enraged 
The stiff-necked people had rebelled again. As Moses came down the mountain, he pronounced judgment on them, and in anger, he threw the two stone tables of the law, written by the very finger of God, up against the rock, and they shattered into pieces. Upon its founding, the covenant had already been broken. God in his glory could not reside among these people, lest they be completely destroyed. And so Moses sets up a tent outside of the camp called the Tent of Meeting. A pillar of cloud would descend upon the tent, and Moses would enter and converse with God as friends. And in Exodus 33, Moses, after his encounter with God, would reveal an element of his glory. It says in Exodus chapter 34, Verses 29, let me read it for you. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand and he came down the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them, all the Lord had spoken with him at Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out And when he came out and told the people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with him. Moses had beheld God's glory, and his face was radiant from it. The covenant that God had made through the law was an act of glory, and Moses was not only the mediator of the covenant, he had also become the mediator of glory. But that glory had to be veiled. God would guide them, but the tent of meeting would remain outside the camp. Moses would be among them, his illuminated face would be veiled. God's glory would consume the hard-hearted, stiff-necked people if he was among them. And as a result, the veil was drawn. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul takes all of that as the backdrop of that glory, and he gives three comparisons in an attempt to show us that the Old Testament was indeed glorious, the Old Covenant But it was a lesser glory than what God reveals in the new covenant and the way that he promises to interact with his people. And so look at it with me, verses 7 to 8. The law that brings death is not as glorious as the spirit. He says, now if the ministry of death carved in the letters on stone, which came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? 
You see, the glory of God shone so brightly on the people of Israel, they could not abide him in their presence. They would die. They could not abide the glory reflected even on Moses' face. He had to wear a veil. But guess what? There's no veil over the Spirit. The Spirit is not on the outskirts of the camp. The Spirit of God in the New Covenant ministers in in and among God's people, and the Spirit even takes up residence inside of those who have faith. And that is glorious. Verse 9 provides the second lesser to greater comparison. The ministry of condemnation is not as glorious as the ministry that brings righteousness. If there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, he writes, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. So the glory that occurs in the ministry of condemnation is a, it's a bit of a peculiar expression. How is that glorious? Well, it's glorious because it's a glory of perfection. God is perfect. There's no one like him. As we've already said, beauty and splendor are seen in his perfection. Every thought, every word, every action from God is completely perfect. It's never unbalanced. It's never off kilter. Perfect and glorious. And the law of the Old Testament, which points us to the reality of this perfect and glorious God, is glorious in its nature, even if it's bad news for those who cannot live up to its standard. It is, however, nevertheless, glorious. But in the new covenant, God does not require us to attain complete righteousness. Instead, we are given righteousness. We are given a righteous standard. Yes, come on, given a perfect standing because of the work of his son, Jesus. And that, my friends, is glorious. In his book, The Porn Problem, Vaughn Roberts recalls the following. He says, Bobby Moore was the England soccer captain who received the World Cup from Queen Elizabeth upon their victory in 1966. And an interviewer had asked him to describe how he felt as he approached the queen. The queen, in all of her regalia, in all of her own type of splendor, and he talked about how terrified he was as he approached her majesty because he noticed as he was walking toward the platform that he was wearing, she was wearing white gloves. And his hands were covered in mud from the soccer pitch. And so the picture can be seen as the triumphant captain walks toward the balcony. He keeps wiping his hands on the sides of his shorts. And as he approaches the platform, he grabs that purple velvet lining the platform and he's desperately wiping his hands to try, to try to get them clean. And Roberts continued, if Bobby Moore was worried about approaching the queen with his muddy hands, how much more horrified should we be at the prospect of approaching God? Because of our sin, we're not just dirty on the outside. Our hearts are unclean. 
And God doesn't just wear white gloves. He's absolutely pure through and through. In the new covenant, purity and righteousness come from Christ. They're applied to you. And not only that, we who by the spirit of God are growing into that very righteousness. That's why Romans 8, 1 and 2 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Friends, that's glorious. The third lesser degraded comparison found in verses 10 and 11 is that the ministry that comes to an end has glory, but the ministry that is permanent has more glory. Indeed, in this case, Paul writes, what was once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent, have glory. You ever thought about why the Old Covenant is called old? It's not old because it lacked glory. It's old because something new had come. The Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry, the ministry of the Spirit that followed him, the ministry that is permanent in its nature, it will not change between the day of its inauguration until the day of Christ's return. And it is the standard by which we all enter in eternity. So it enjoys the greater glory, the greater honor, the greater beauty, the greater splendor. It is a reflection of the very glory of God himself. And so you see all three of these comparisons. Great glory that's displayed in the old covenant, but an even greater glory in the message of the gospel. The message of the spirit. And this message of Paul himself, greater glory. And the same can be said, by the way, when contrasting the new covenant of God against any ideology, system of thought, religious set of beliefs, because God has given it a covenant with his people of great glory and great grace. He dwells in and among his people His presence is not veiled. His glory does not presently consume those who sin against him. The glory happens by the Spirit. It brings righteousness. What an incredible reality. Now, we started out this morning by saying that part of the goal was to encourage us from lesser things to greater things. To not think of your fanning the flame merely as some form of self-help or personal improvement. Because you grow and you are transformed because the glory of God himself is displayed to you in an ongoing way. I hope you know this, many of you probably do, but you live in the greatest time in the history of the human race. You live in a privileged time. And the reason it's privileged is because the glory of God displayed to you through the new covenant compels the growth of your calling. The glory is transcendent, it's permanent, it displays righteousness. The glory of God displayed to you compels the growth of your calling. And Paul, in the second part of this message or this chapter, 
helps us to understand how that is the case. It's one thing to say that it does it, but how does it do it? How does this glory move you forward? And he gives you three specific ways that this happens. There's dozens more. But the first one is that he says that hope leads to boldness. You can look at it with me in verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Paul, beaten, slandered, is still bold. He bold because he knows the end and therefore he can endure the middle. You see, Christian, you know the end. <laughs> and if you know the end, you can actually thrive in the middle. Well, once again, that was Dr. Nick Gatsky, a senior pastor of Old North Church in Canfield. You're listening to A Better Word, and that was part one of a message preached at Moody Bible Institute's Founders Week in Chicago, Illinois. The message is titled, Glory That Transforms. Now, normally we would bring you part two of this message next week, but Christmas is here. So, we'll have a Christmas message and then bring you part two of Glory That Transforms in two weeks. Now, we're getting real close to the end of a calendar year and the beginning of a new one. And we here at the ministry have big goals to continue and expand what we're doing and what the Lord has for us. And we need partnership for that, Pastor. Christian ministry from the very beginning, whether that's in local churches or in ministries like parachurch organizations like ours, always engage in an ongoing partnership. It takes a team of people and a really wide breadth of resources to continue to share the gospel around the world. And that's what we're all about. Would you prayerfully consider a gift as we prepare for a new year to begin? Your calendar year-end donation would make a huge difference to us here at the team at A Better Word. For more information on how to get your gift in today, just go to abetterword.org. That's abetterword.org. A Better Word is a teaching ministry of and is sponsored by Old North Church of Canfield, Ohio.